0: all right good morning well yeah grab your bible and open it to romans chapter one we're gonna begin um oddly at the beginning (laughs) Uh, i'm excited today to start this series uh i love preaching through the gospel kind of in a systematic way and diving deep uh you you probably have figured out if you've been here for a while i love theology i love just digging into god's word And we decided this year, this summer, to really dig into the book of Romans. And um, I often think of God's word like like a mine, like a gold mine. And you and I, because we're probably not gold miners, we just look at a mountain and we see a mountain. But a gold miner, he can look at a mountain and say what? I, I see gold in them hills. And so he puts a mine there and he starts to dig a shaft and he digs deep into that mountain, and pretty soon, what does he find? He finds some gold, but what did he have to do to get it? He had to work hard. He had to, he had to study where the gold might be. He had to put shafts in the right direction, and he had to really get after it, and it's hard work to be a miner, and I believe the same is true when you get into the Word of God. It takes work, and it, sometimes it's hard to do, but how many of you know That sometimes when you go to read your Bible, it's the hardest thing to do in the day. Has that ever happened to you? Like, I don't know why the hardest thing in my day is to wake up 15 minutes early and read the word. Like, what is fighting against me to do that? Well, all of hell is. Because it knows that this is the truth. And if you start living the simple gospel, you might be a powerful follower of Jesus Christ, and they don't want that. Romans in its essence is about the gospel. One of the reasons Romans is a very popular letter is because the major theme of the go- of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we wanted to have a simple definition of the gospel to help us as we study through this amazing letter. So here is our simple definition of the gospel the gospel is jesus christ crucified and risen to set me free that's the gospel now paul will use this theme and make this theme clear over and over again through the letter and in a way systematically he breaks up the letter 16 chapters four chapters at a time and each chapter is about the gospel. The first section is about the heart of the gospel, chapters one through four. Is about the heart of the gospel. Why, why did God do this? Why is God's goodness chasing after us all the time? How does God feel about mankind? What, what's going on in us that created God wanting to come here? Right? Why did He die on the cross for us? All of that, the heart of the gospel. The next four chapters is about the assurance provided by the gospel. How you and I become people that are absolutely sure that what we are living is what will happen for all of eternity. The third part, the next four chapters, is about the promise of the gospel. About all of the promises that are yours and mine in Jesus Christ that are in the book of Romans. And the last four chapters, when Paul begins to talk about the Holy Spirit, He will talk about the transformational power of the gospel that is at work in you and me. Really, this entire thing is about the gospel. Now, the word gospel is a Greek word. It's used six times in the first 17 verses of chapter 1 that we're going to look at in a moment. The Greek word for gospel is the word euangelion. And the word euangelion actually at its rudest form means good news. So the gospel actually means good news. And you will see in the next several verses that Paul will talk about really six ways that good news is a part of our lives when we think about the gospel. And so this morning, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to look at these six verses that include the word gospel, and help us understand the richness of the gospel and the richness of this grace that God has poured out on mankind by the love of Jesus Christ. But let's pray and jump in together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is timeless, it does not change, and that it is the power for us to live today in Jesus. We pray that it would change us today, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You will always hear us throughout the series reference that Paul is the author. Uh, No one disputes that Paul is the author because Paul declares himself the author right here in verse 1. Verse 2 the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the gentiles to the obedience that come from faith for his name's sake. And also, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith." I do want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might be a harvest among you, just as I have had among the Gentiles, other Gentiles. I am, all, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. that Paul's talking about the gospel a lot here in chapter 1. He speaks of it often, and he uses the word six times in these verses. And he's laying out for us, really, a very descriptive understanding of what the gospel is. He's, he's almost putting a definition together. So if you look at the six verses, you actually come up with a very detailed definition of what the gospel is and as an introduction to the book of Romans I'd like to do that this morning so we're going to look at each reference to the word gospel in the in this first 17 verses the first reference was in verse 1 where Paul said I'm a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God Now, I'd like to point out something about Paul as we begin because I do believe it is something for you and I to aspire to as well. Uh, I, I want you to notice that Paul labels himself as something. He labels himself as a servant, a servant, and that's what you and I are called to be. We're servants of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. And this is what Paul says, I'm set apart for that. I'm set apart to serve. But in this instance, Paul calls it the gospel of God. He will change that throughout the book of Romans, but here he begins and opens his understanding of the gospel by saying the gospel of God. Now this is important because when we use the term God, it's important to understand that what we're saying is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what Paul begins and launches into here is that the gospel we're gonna talk about here is is brought to you by a triune God. That the good news of God is something that all three persons of the Trinity have been involved in and are participating in on a regular basis. God the Father is preeminent and prominent in the Old Testament and chose the family of Abraham for the Messiah to be born into. And he he took care of that family as it grew and learned how to be in relationship with God. He poured out his love on this family as an example of what he wants to do in every person's life. And we'll see this illustration used a lot throughout the book of Romans. Paul will spend time talking about the Jewish people and actually using them as a long illustration of the gospel and why the world needs a savior, why you and I need a savior. God the Son, we know as Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, fulfiller of all prophecy, teacher of all truth, and our savior who died on a cross and came back to give us eternal life. He's also the giver of the Holy Spirit, who will help us live out the gospel and spread the gospel around the world. The third part of the Trinity is God the Holy Spirit, who was poured out on Jesus' disciples over 2,000 years ago and has been pouring himself out on every generation since that day. He's the one who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and always points us to Jesus. He empowers us to live for Jesus. He gives each of us spiritual gift, and we discover the fruit of the Holy Spirit alive in our life as we fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ to tell the world the good news of Jesus. See, the gospel, the good news is a powerful work designed and fulfilled for all mankind by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's intro. The second use of the word gospel is in verse 2. And he says the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to an earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord the second thing that Paul says about the gospel is that the gospel was promised beforehand many times we think of the gospel as the good news of Jesus So the gospel must have started when Jesus was born. That's not true. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, started years before. Actually, we can go all the way back to Genesis 12, where God gave a covenant to Abraham. (coughs) And the good news of Jesus the Messiah started in this covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham and his family, which we would later know as the Jews, which we now know as the people of Israel. This is really the beginning of the gospel. Now, look at it with me. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, it's going to be on your screen for you. God said this to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. By the way, can I just stop just for a small moment and say, this blessing and this cursing is still true today. Whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. Whoever curses Israel will be cursed. And we will see that now and in the future in an even greater capacity. As our world, interesting, looks towards this little tiny country in the Middle Eastern that nobody would have any speckling of an iota to care about were they not the people of God. We better bless them too. Amen? Pray that we do. Pray that we do so that we can continue as a good people as well. But the last part of verse 3 is the part that we need to look at in a very important way. The last part of verse 3 says this. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, how could all of the people on earth be blessed through a 4,000-year-old dead guy? Because through his family came Jesus. That's where the gospel started. It started way beforehand. It started in a promise that God gave to Abraham where God said to Abraham, Abraham, someone out of your line will come, and every single person on earth will be blessed through Jesus. Now, it continued for hundreds of years as prophet after prophet after prophet talked about this one who would come and rescue the people of Israel. And God raised up prophets in every generation for the Jewish people to remind them how to live for God, to rebuke them when they fell away, and to remind them of the promise of a Savior who would be born of David in the town of Bethlehem, and we would all believe in a guy with a red suit and give gifts to one another as a result. See, the prophet's writings and words are recorded in the Holy Scriptures that we can read about today in the Old Testament. And these prophecies, hundreds of them, all point to Jesus. His earthly lineage is from the family of David, fulfilling prophecy. Spiritually, he would be the all-powerful one that would rise from the dead, conquering death in the grave, and this is our Lord today. Now, throughout Romans, you will see this over and over and over again. Throughout Romans, Paul will use the Jewish nation as the illustration of God's good news for the world. A nation that is just like you and me, exactly like you and me, that one day chooses to serve God and the next does not. (laughs) One moment says God is good and the next moment says I'll go my own way. One generation says, man, we got to focus all of our attention on God. And the next generation that says, narcissism is king. This is us. This is humanity. This is exactly who we are. This is exactly what we do. And he will use that as an illustration all the way through the book of Romans that you and I desperately need a savior. Desperately need the gospel. This is why Paul says, the gospel was promised beforehand. The third use of the word is in verse 9, where Paul says, God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son. Now Paul uses a different term. And he says that it's the gospel of his son. Now Paul shifts gears, and you'll see this throughout the rest of the letter that the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son. The good news is about Jesus. Jesus crucified and risen to set you free. The good news is about the Son because Jesus is the one who left heaven, came to earth and died a horrible death on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin and then came back to life conquering death so we could inherit eternal life. This is why Jesus is the Savior of the world, because he is the one who made this personal sacrifice that we needed for salvation. He's the one that went through the pain and the agony of the cross, that suffered the rejection of his people, that endured the loss of relationship with the Father while all of our failures were placed upon him. That's why it's the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because of his amazing sacrifice of love and grace. Now, here's the reality someone in the Trinity had to come rescue us. It either had to be the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, but Jesus was the call. He made the call, He answered the call. We couldn't rescue ourselves, first of all, because we are disqualified. <laughs> We're disqualified because of our sin. So we can't rescue ourselves. Second, because we often live in sin. Do you remember those days when when before you knew Christ and you lived in sin? You didn't want to get rescued. Like, I love this. This is awesome. I love doing whatever I want all the time, never having to answer to anyone. I don't like authority anyway, so I don't want to talk about God right? We loved that. And so we weren't, we weren't thinking about needing to be rescued. We weren't thinking about that. We were thinking about ourselves. We were thinking about what I wanted, my pleasure, my purposes, my plans. I wasn't thinking about saving myself, even though I needed to be saved. I was drowning in my own sin, even though I needed to be rescued. That's why Jesus came. Because we're disqualified and we weren't even thinking about it. And since we weren't even thinking about saving ourselves, we certainly would never think about saving someone else. This is why Jesus came. See, the gospel we are living in and telling the world about is the gospel of Jesus who did the hard work to save us. The fourth reference to the gospel is in verse 14. Where Paul says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. Any Greeks in the room? Okay, so we're all non-Greeks. We, that applies. Both to the wise and the foolish. Any wise and foolish in the room? Okay, good. All right, that's us. Okay, we're all here. So this applies to us then. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, he says. Here's something about the gospel that Paul says, and I think is something we need to catch too. Paul says, I'm so eager to preach the gospel. I'm eager. There's there's something inside of me that wants to get out. That's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit prompting you. Let him out. That's That's a good thing. And Paul is saying, that's what's happening inside of me. I'm so eager to tell you the good news about Jesus. Now, many times I think um, people think the word preach is a pastor word. That that's, that's something pastors do, not something I do. But that's not true. The word preach really just means to tell or to bring or to proclaim. So, do you ever tell somebody something? Sure. Do you ever bring something good to a party? Probably. If you brought chips and dip, you brought something good. If you brought a veggie tray? Eh. Broccoli. Broccoli. Who's eager to talk about broccoli? This word is simple. It's just to tell, to bring something, to proclaim something. We all do this. We all tell people about good things in our lives, don't we? Don't you tell people good news? If your child wins an award, don't you tell the people around you? My son won the spelling bee. So awesome. You should have seen him spell those words. I mean, it was extraordinary. We tell people, right? If you won the lottery, would you tell anyone? Would you tell your pastor? Let's talk about this for real. Would you tell your pastor? (laughs) I hope so. But... Probably, I didn't think of this question before now. Yeah, you probably shouldn't tell anybody because then everybody will want to be your best friend, right? So probably don't tell anybody. Just, but don't drive a Ferrari and Genie either or else we'll all know. (laughs) But if you got a new car, would you tell someone? Sure you would. You'd tell someone. If you found your favorite pair of jeans on sale for 10 bucks would you tell someone you bet you would ladies you tell everyone you know guys if you found a gas station that sold a gallon of gas for 10 cents would you tell someone you bet you would you'd tell your good friends buck would not we know that but the rest of us are nice and we would tell our friends this gas station has gallons of gas for 10 cents, right? Here's the point. We tell people about good news. Why don't we tell people about the best news ever? Ever. Right? Let the Holy Spirit start to make you eager to tell people about Jesus. Paul says, man, I'm so, I'm so eager to tell you about Jesus. I think this is one of the reasons I became a pastor. I'm just always eager to tell somebody about Jesus. I I just, I've got something good to tell you. I'm forgiven and you can be too. I gotta tell you something. The savior of the world was here on this planet for a while. I, I gotta tell you about him. I gotta tell you that God loves you very, very much. And he wants the best for you. Can I tell you about that? Can I tell you that your Creator, the one who made everything on this planet that you love and enjoy, thinks you are overwhelmingly special? He adores you. And he hopes that you would want relationship with him as much as he wants relationship with you. This is the gospel. This is the good news, and I want to encourage you to find yourself eager to tell someone about Jesus. The fifth and very important thing Paul says about the gospel is linked to the fourth thing. In the fifth one, Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16 says. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You and I should be people that have this resident in us as well. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of him. I I don't care what you do to me. I, I don't care what you might say to me. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. By the way, I believe that this takes place as you and I understand intimacy with Christ and understand Jesus is your best friend. When Jesus is your best friend, you're not ashamed of him. Like when, when you have a best friend, you're not ashamed of them you're not ashamed to call them your best friend because you've lived life with them. You've gone through hard times and good times with that friend. That friend's always been there for you. That friend is closer than a brother. And so when Jesus gets to be like that, you're not ashamed of him. Somebody could tell you bad things about your friend and what would you say? Hey, don't talk about my friend like that. (laughs) Right? That's what you would say. When somebody starts to talk about Jesus in a negative light. You might say, hey, could I talk to you for a minute? Gosh, I I really need to tell you about about who Jesus really is because you've got him defined wrong in your head and I know him totally different. Could I get you coffee and tell you about how much Jesus is doing in me and the goodness of God that's chasing after me because I'm I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? I gotta tell you about that. One of the things I love, because you, you all know that I'm kind of a sports guy, I love when, I love when athletes um, are not ashamed of Jesus, but I'm even more, more happy when I see someone who's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And what I mean by that? is someone who is not ashamed of the fullness of the gospel in other words i love when an athlete after the super bowl says um you know ah, i'll praise to jesus but i like it a whole lot better when i go in when they go into the losing locker room and i see a guy say man thank you jesus i'm just it was great being on the field today, and I just want to say thank you to Jesus. That was awesome, right? In the good times and the bad times, it's about Jesus, not just when I win. One of the uh, athletes that is, I want to show you a video of is Nick Foles. Nick is a definitely a follower of Jesus Christ. He's not just a, a fly-by-night only in the good times person. I want want you to notice something about this video. It's only two minutes long, but here's what I want you to notice. The question asked to Nick is not from the press. Could you tell us about Jesus? That's not the question that's asked. Here's what I want you to notice. Nick is asked a totally different question, but he uses the question to insert Jesus into the conversation. And then I want you to notice how deep he goes in his conversation about Jesus as he is not ashamed at all to talk about his best friend, Jesus Christ. Let's watch.
1: Though week after week, not playing, you're a football
0: player. You're watching this young kid go out. It's minceumanius, 12 going crazy. I know you're a man of faith, and I know you're trying, but you're also human. I mean, ever any doubts coming up in your mind? You go through that?
1: No, that's where, you know, right when this, right when I felt this thing break and I was going into the locker room, I just realized, you know, I just realized God, this wasn't exactly what I was thinking when I came to Jacksonville. Obviously you come here and you want to create a culture and impact people. But at the end of the day, as I got, this is the journey you want me to go on. I'm going to glorify you in every action, um, good or bad. And, you know, I still could have joy in an injury. Um, and that, that's people hear that and say, that's crazy. But it's like, when you believe in Jesus and you, you go out there and you play and that's, That changes your heart. And you only understand it when, you know, that purpose in your life, just like when I hoisted the Lombardi trophy. The reason I'm smiling is my faith was in Christ in that moment. I realized I didn't need that trophy to define who I was because it was already in Christ. And that's my message when I play. Same thing happens when I get injured. We tend to make this so much about us as human beings. We tend to make it about us as athletes. It's not about us. It really isn't. If you make it about yourself, you're probably going to go home at night, lay your head on your pillow, and be very alone and very sad. And then hopefully someday you can find that purpose in your life. Because my purpose isn't football, it's impacting people. And I my, my ministry happens to be the locker room. And I've been able still to get to know people, get to know these guys through an injury. Though I might not be playing, that is difficult from a fleshly perspective. But from the spiritual perspective, from my heart, I've been able to grow as a human being to where I feel like I'm at a better situation here as a person than I was before because of the trial I just went under. And I know that's a sermon in itself, but That's how I go through life. And the good Lord's been there to, you know, it's not always about prosperity. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I believe if you read the word of God and you understand it, there's trials along the way, but they equip your heart to be who you are. So um, when I step on the field, I'm going against a man in Frank Reich, who's very similar. He's a guy that I admire more than anything. He's a guy that has impacted my life so much, and he's gonna be on the opposing sideline. So um, that's gonna be fun. week after week not playing your football right.
0: Did you notice him say a couple things? Jesus is my identity. Jesus is my purpose. Jesus is the reason I live. I love that he just used his normal everyday opportunity, an opportunity in his life, to just kind of insert Jesus in. He can do that because it's very evident that he is what? Not ashamed of the gospel. And I hope that you can get there too. The last reference to the gospel is in verse 17. In verse 17, Paul says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, in the gospel, the right way to live our lives on this planet is revealed to us. It's told to us. It's declared. It's told. It's brought. It's proclaimed. When you and I talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're we're discussing the right way that God has always wanted to be in relationship with mankind with you and with me. The other interesting thing about this word is that this word in in the Greek that is used to translate the word righteousness is also the word that we translate the word justice. So the gospel is about the right way to live our lives, but it's also about how God And his justice and his mercy met together on a cross that Jesus died on. And his justice was satisfied. Because the reality that Paul will lay out right away in verse 18 next week is that all of us, all of us are sinners, all of us are broken all of us have failed, and all of us have gone astray. But on the cross, Jesus satisfied the righteousness and the justice of God, and that's exactly what we needed. Because our our sin, our brokenness required a penalty, and Jesus took that penalty on. He became our sacrifice. So all of our brokenness was placed on Christ. All of our failures, all of the times that we go our own way, all of our actions and our words that do not glorify our Heavenly Father were all placed on Jesus when he died on the cross. And in that moment, he said something in particular very exciting and purposeful. He said, it is finished. In other words, the justice of God is done. The mercy of God has been fulfilled. The requirements of my brokenness have been placed upon you, and it's over. But now, Paul said that's kind of theologically from that perspective. Jesus has done his part. But the challenge is, am I doing my part Am I living by faith from the first moment I meet Jesus to the last moment I take my breath? Am I living by faith in Jesus Christ? Every single one of us on this planet have to answer that question. Do I believe in Jesus or do I believe in myself? Do I believe in some hollow and deceptive philosophy of our culture or do I believe that the right way to live is in Jesus Christ. Do I understand that I will live in the goodness of God all the days of my life, no matter what the world throws at me, when I say yes to Jesus? See, the gospel is the action of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that gives you and I forgiveness and eternal life as we believe by faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul will lay out for us for the rest of the next Fifteen and a half chapters. In the gospel, the righteousness of God prevails over everything. Our faith in Christ prevails over all of our brokenness, even over our defiance of God, over our arrogance, over our selfishness, over our narcissism. It prevails over everything when we believe in Jesus. This is why the gospel is good news. This is why the gospel should be shared with every person. And this is why you and I should never, ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks for this simple, simple message. It's such a simple story, it's a story of love. God, you're just simply saying, I love you. I love mankind. I love the people on that world that I created. And I want relationship with you. This is the gospel. It's literally that easy. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to understand how simple that is. Yet, how eternally important it is as well. There might be someone right now, either in person or online, within the sound of my voice. And this morning, you need to, by faith, believe in this good news. And So I'm going to simply ask you, If you would like to believe by faith in Jesus Christ and you would like to say, I need to start living this right way, would you just raise your hand where you're at? And if you're online, I want you to know God sees your hand. But if you'd like to respond to God and just say, God, I want you to see me, just raise your hand. That's kind of like your part, saying, God, here I am. See me raise my hand and say, I need you. Would you save me, set me free? By faith, I believe in you. Also, maybe you have, let's just say you're not, you haven't been really living out this gospel. And you just want to say, Jesus, would you just empower me to live this the right way? I want to live your gospel the right way. I don't want to be ashamed of you, Jesus. No matter where I go, in front of my friends, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, I don't want to be ashamed of you ever. Would you give me, Holy Spirit, the strength and the power to never be ashamed of you and to be eager to share you with others? If that's where you're at and you just want to say, Jesus, would you, would you make that? I know that's not going to happen instantly, but would you make that a part of my life as I move forward? Help me not to be ashamed of Jesus. Maybe that's you. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. Help me be strong for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for us this morning as we go. Jesus, I thank you for those that have raised their hand and just said, I, I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be with them right now. That you would just fill them with your Holy Spirit afresh. That they would know the mighty hand of God in a powerful way. And that you would begin to use them to speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus everywhere they are that they would find opportunities like we saw in next video to just insert you into conversation and to talk about how good you are. We give you thanks and praise. And we pray that you would be with us as we look at this book of Romans all summer and dig into it deeply. Would you, would you just create new things in us by the power of your word? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for coming this morning. It was good to see you. Great morning. Praising the Lord and being in his word. Thanks for coming. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.